An uplifter is a compelling leader who tries to breathe life and hope into people around them. Who listen and care and guide and help. Whose way of being in the world inspires. Who uplifts with humor and understanding. Who leads by example. Don't judge. Vulnerable. Bold determination. Who are here to create a better world. Who can learn and teach. Who encourages you. Who shines their light to lead other people. Who uses their best self in order to help others. And the life that I like and I work toward that. We are all uplifters. Mwah, big love. Welcome to the Uplifters Podcast, where we celebrate the uplifters among us, the women who do so much to make their worlds a little bit better through their daily choices. Today's guest is a shining example of this. Today, we're hearing from Dr. Helen Arteaga Landaverde. She's the CEO of NYC Health and Hospitals Elmhurst, which cares for over a million patients every year. She's the first woman of color and the first Latina to lead the hospital. And under her leadership, the hospital has received incredible recognition, including being named to U.S. News and World Report's Best Regional Hospitals list. And Helen has been recognized so much for her work as one of the top Latinas in business, as one of the top executives in New York. And we are just so honored to have you here, not just as a leader, as a big boss lady, Helen, but as a human with a really beautiful story. Where does your story begin, Helen? So, you know, I think it always begins with my dad. You know, my dad was came from Ecuador and my dad was not a community activist. He didn't even know what the word meant. He truly believed in helping thy neighbor. Like my dad would get into these messes where like, people were like, oh, can you help me fix a roof? And he's like, sure. Meanwhile, I'm like, dad, you don't even know like how to use a hammer. He was like, we'll figure it out. And so of course, being a good teenager, I wanted to do everything but be him. And I wanted to come into the world of chemistry where Back in the days in the 80s, a lot of our community, especially in the Latino community, a lot of people would go back home or they passed away because they had cancer, but it was really HIV and AIDS. So for me, I saw that that huge disparity in care, that huge disparity in access to care and medication. So I went into the world of chemistry because I wanted to find the cure for HIV and AIDS for my community because I did not want to be a community activist. And unfortunately, my dad got sick. Uh, my dad was a natural healer. He didn't really believe in doctors, which was even funnier now that I'm in healthcare. And he got sick and we actually came here to Elmer's Hospital to their emergency room. And they were like, where's your insurance card? And we're like, what is that? Because in Ecuador, we have universal healthcare and we didn't know we had to apply for insurance. And back in the day, there was no Google, there was no internet. So we had to do everything the old school way, which was by paper. And of course, my parents didn't know English. So I was the main interpreter. And unfortunately, that day, my dad got diagnosed with leukemia stage four. So he got diagnosed in November. He died that February, all within Elmer's. So in my saddest moment of my life, one, I was very mad at the world because they took my dad away because he was my best friend. A lot of people say, oh, you know, you became a feminist or you believe in woman power because of your mom. Because my mom's a very strong woman. 
And yeah, she helped me become a strong woman. But the really, the person who put the seed of who I could become was my dad. He literally taught me like, as a woman, I could do anything better than a man. You know, this coming from an old school man. And when he died, I felt like someone took that away from me, that superpower that I had. He was my biggest cheerleader. And, and I saw the injustice of the world because my dad died without having a Medicaid card. He died in pain because we didn't have money to get the medication. I remember taking my dad to a doctor's office in my community. My own community said, well, if you don't have the $125, we can't see you. Or if you don't have the $50 for the medication that we had to get my dad, we can't give it to you. So a lot of him, a lot of his, you know, he died in pain. And I was so pissed off. I remember Peter Verlez was the CEO here at Elmer's. And I remember I boycotted like Elmer's. I didn't get arrested by some miracle of God because I'm so mad. So in that moment of sadness, you know, our local priest was like, you know, Helen, you have to be stuck being so mad at the world. And then I was like, what can I I was like, what can an immigrant girl do? And he was like, well, your dad used to say, you can't fix the world, Helen, but you can fix this block. So how do you fix this block? And I was like, well, I would build a health center where anybody would go through its doors and would speak their language, regardless where they came from. And I would help them get access to healthcare, whatever that meant. And my priest was like, all right, so go do it. And then I was like, okay. And I was like, oh, what do I need to do? And I was like, I need to go to med school or become a doctor or whatever it is that I need to get done. And hence how I landed at Columbia. And I got my master's in epidemiology, learned how to get grants. And in 2009, I built Plaza de Sol Family Health Center. And we opened with a team of 12 providers. We used to call ourselves the Apostle 12s and 38 patients. And one of them was my mom, so maybe 37. And 15 years later, the support of community partners and Urban Health Plan and Paloma Hernandez. Like I left Plaza del Sol with 39,000 patients they take care of. And we changed the clinical indicators of Corona. We were the highest rates of TB. When I left, we weren't. We had the highest rate of maternal mortality. We weren't. All of our pregnancies went to full term. We have a 90% and higher in our health indicators. We were one of the top 25 percentiles of federally qualified health centers in the nation. And we were the biggest FQAC in Corona. And that was huge. And that's what my dad's death did. So out of something so sad, we literally fixed the block. We fixed the block because of my dad. Your dad. Yeah. And now I'm in a bigger I'm block. I'm sitting I'm over here power. crying. <laughs> I get teary die always around the holidays too. So it's very, it's very interesting to see how something so sad really was the, the fire that really kicked it into, and even Elmer's, you know, how I came to Elmer's, like Elmer's has always been my home since I was a teenager. It's where I came to get care where my dad passed away. But when I got COVID, you know, I was a community provider and I remember the CEO here at Elmer's Hospital was like, Helen, we're going to be the last people open. I'm like, no, the community is going to stay strong. Truly, everybody closed. And it was literally just blessed his soul and Elmer's Hospital open. Like our lines were out of control. And when I got sick because I was helping the community out, I remember being in the emergency room in the worst pain possible. I don't, first wave COVID was so painful. I don't, it was horrible. And of course, we were the epicenter of the epicenter here. And I remember being in the emergency room and thinking like, fudge, I'm going to die in the same place my dad died. And I just remember thinking like, okay, God, if you help me in this one, I'll come back and give back to Elmer's. Because I always had like, like this love-hate relationship with the hospital. 
was like, I'll come back and I'll support Elmer's. I'll figure out like, just like, just give me a chance and let me come back. And of course, the amazing team here at Elmer's Hospital, like they brought me back to life. Six days later, I was discharged back home and it changed my life. And I was like, okay, I was like, I'm going to come back. But I thought I was coming to give back. I was like, I'm going to help fundraise and support the hospital. But the position of CEO, because at that time, Israel Rocha became like the hero of, with every right and then was asked to help the next epicenter of the United States, which was Chicago. So he went to Chicago and the opportunity came up to to be here, the next CEO. And I remember thinking like, what fool, que loco, is going to apply for that job? You know, it's way, it's still, we're still in the first wave. We don't have the vaccine yet. I remember I was still very sick from, I was a long hauler and I was just like, no, this is not going to happen. And then I, I remembered my dad thinking like, Helen, you can't fix the world, but you can fix this block. And my community needed me when I didn't want to be there anymore. And I was like, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen? They hire me. And 21 interviews later, I was offered the position to be the CEO of Elmer's Hospital. Because I was like, we're also in the midst of the pandemic. I was like, who's going to hire, you know, again, first generation immigrant. I don't speak English. It's not my first language. I've been out of the hospital world for like 15 years. Remember, I was in Plaza Sol. I was like, it's the midst of the pandemic. They probably want someone more experience. But again, all that self-doubt and all that, like, I'm not meant to be in that chair for some odd reason where like always in my head. But the voice that was even louder was my dad's, that the community needed me, that the community needed one of their own. And because I am from the community, I am a patient. I think that changed a lot of how we manage the pandemic here at Elmhurst. And I think that's, you know, part also one of the small seeds of our success, because when I would say something, you know, during the pandemic, whether it's like, come get your vaccine, wear your mask, like, this is what we need to get done. Our community listened because I was one of them. I am, I'm still one of them. I still live like 10 blocks away from the hospital, which my family does not like because <laughs> I'm always here. But I think, again, it all started from my dad, basically me not being my dad and then ending up being my dad at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I know there's so much about this story that is full circle, certainly with your father's journey, your journey, and also the pandemics on both ends of the circle. Yeah. Right. So starting with HIV and AIDS and ending with the coronavirus pandemic. It is an example of so much of what we've talked about on this show, too, that really the the reason I started the research about the influence of our environments. And if you read about environmental influences, what you understand very quickly is that the voices in our heads have a tremendous influence on our sense of self-belief and our choices. And so I had this image that if we could just get uplifters' voices into uplifters' heads, we would all be stronger and more courageous, and we would all keep having bigger neighborhoods that we could inspire. I totally agree with you. I think that's why I meditate so much. I think I do a lot of guided meditation. I talk to a lot of students and they're like, oh, Helen, again, because I'm trying to be that uplifter of like, you're not defined by whatever this little box tells you or what this database or what AI tells you now. You know, a lot of the new generation, 
they take all these these tests like their BuzzFeed quizzes. Yeah, or I'm I'm an Instagram seven, and you know I'm an introvert, extrovert. I'm like, and my love language is this. Yeah, yeah. what's your love language or whatever? <laughs> and I think that's all good data points, but it doesn't define you. You know, I think when I look at my career, I've been a little bit of everything. You know, I've been a scientist, I've been a mom, I've been a community activist. You know, I'm an executive now. But it doesn't stop me from, you know, going to a Buddhist temple and meditating for two hours. It doesn't stop me from also going to a bar down the block and doing karaoke for two hours. And I wish, you know, we could hear more of those voices. And I think that's why I love your podcast, because you have so many different voices. And I think the more, especially women, I think the more we hear different voices, I think the more we're going to feel empowered to get out of that little box people are trying to put us in. Yes. And just be a human, because I think that's what you're describing is a human is not a single facet or an idea. A human is richly complex. And especially if we are gifted enough to live a nice long life, we get to have lots of different experiences that define who we become. No, I totally, the New York Times came out with an article. The neuroscientists have found that we actually have eight senses versus just a five, which I thought it was like, I was like, how great is that? You know, of course, the scientific world is like, no, we have to stay with five. I'm like, no, I think maybe we have even more. We just haven't discovered it. And, you know, and I think that's what it has to do with also the uplifting. I think the more we hear different voices that uplift us from these thoughts that we might have, you know, I'm so lucky and I'm so grateful to have so many people that love me and support me and help me negate those voices in my head. You know, even when I do this job today, I'm happy I got to listen to a podcast this morning that said, hey, the full moon is out today. It's a big deal because the last full moon of the year, it's about mourning. And it's not mourning like in a sad way. It's mourning of like, look at everything you've accomplished. And now you have to let it go because now you have to start fresh again. So this morning, as it's a Monday at a hospital in flu season. So it's very, very busy here. And I'm just like, no, I'm going to enjoy this moment (laughs) of craziness at the hospital. I'm like, I literally, for lunch, I had chocolate cake. (laughs) Wonderful. I was like, why not? Why not have chocolate cake? And there is no reason why not, really, if that's what you want. I mean, my doctor might not like it, but a little bit of chocolate cake is not going to kill anybody. And underneath everything in your story is the notion of trust, that your community has trusted you to help them move through chronic health issues, through disease, through loss. And they've trusted you in large part, I think, because you have been honest about who you are as a person and that you are a human being who eats chocolate cake. (laughs) For lunch. (laughs) (laughs) And not some mysterious entity who comes from a faraway place and only eats kale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I think that trust is super important. And I think it's a trust that, you know, you have to earn. So for me, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Because I also know, I know the responsibility of doing it or not doing it. And especially in my role here as the CEO of Elmer's, when I say something, I know it has such an impact. We're high volume hospital. We're the biggest hospital here in Queens. My team is 6,000 individuals. So that's 6,000 paychecks, 6,000 families that I know 
that if I make a simple decision, it will affect those 6,000 people. So sometimes it is a heavy load, but it makes it lighter to know that they trust me, that I'm doing the right thing for them. I always say I'm like I'm a mama bear of 6,000. I'm always protecting them. I'm always praying for them. And for me, it makes my job so much more holistic. I always tell people I'm not just a CEO. I'm an advocate first because I believe in supporting my community. And my community includes those 6,000 individuals. Sometimes getting out of the hospital might take me an hour. A staff member was like, Helen, why do you hug so many people? And I was like, well, first, I'm a hugger. (laughs) But I feel like sometimes my staff... Sometimes all you need is a hug. Mm-hmm. I know today was a hard day. You know, we didn't get to eat lunch. There's a thousand patients. Some patients are mean. No one sees our work. But it's my moment of saying, you know what? I saw it. I might not be in the exam room with you. I might not be in the unit with you. I might not understand that fight you had with the doctor, or with the resident or the other nurse or the PA or the family that just said that you were the worst thing ever created. But I saw I saw the value in you. And I think when we're talking about uplifting individuals, I think it's just taking that moment just to see another individual. I mean, especially now our our healthcare system is in crisis. Our providers have the lowest level of work satisfaction in history. The burnout rates, especially for women, are at the highest rates of all time. And so arguably the greatest service you could do for your community right now is to care for the caregivers and to help them feel appreciated and supported. Sometimes simple is better for me, like a simple thank you, because sometimes, you know, our community members are tough. You know, we deal with the most vulnerable community, communities sometimes that others don't want to deal with. But I always say, you never know when this is going to change someone. We had a patient. This always makes me cry a little bit. He was an alcoholic, homeless, the majority of his time. And he was in and out of our emergency room. I've been CEO three years. I've been knowing about this man for three years. He's changed his name, but it, we all knew who he was. And of course, sometimes he would come very high, very aggressive because he would be alcohol mixed with some certain drugs. But we always took care of him. And of course, his body was overused. He didn't get the right help. So he was in his end of life situation. And he asked to speak to me, right? And he was like, oh, I heard the CEOs from the neighborhood. And I was like, I'm from the neighborhood. I was like, all right. I was like, okay, I'm going to come down and uh, talk to him. And then he asked me like, oh, if you're really from the neighborhood, where's the pizza? Like where you get the best tacos? Like what part of Flushing Meadow Bark are you not supposed to climb up on? All in Spanish. And so I met with him and he was like, look, I know I'm dying. The hospital has meant so much for me because it's been my one constant thing that I knew when the world was ending, I could come here. And I was like, I'm like, well, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. He was like, I want to give back. but I just don't know how because I have nothing. I was like, your thank you is enough. And he was like, he literally was like, if there are any organs that I have that you can use, I would like to donate them. I was in the shock of my life because here's an alcoholic, homeless, rejected by the world. And here was on his deathbed saying, hey, I know I'm not perfect, but if there's anything you can use for me, please do it. And of course, he passed away and we were able to take three of his organs, donations to support three people. So at the end of the day, like all that aggressiveness, all that evilness that people saw, at the end of the day, he was able to help three people stay alive. Three. And he was a severe, you know, so that just gives me when people are like, oh, this patient has no hope. And I was like, you just never know. You just never know. 
it's so easy to discount people who are challenging Mm -hmm. or who make an already difficult situation more difficult. But in this story, I think what we hear is this incredible reminder that every interaction we have to serve one another as human beings has the potential to have extraordinary ripple effects. And so the love that was shown to that man, despite his situation, despite the fact that he was challenging, it's ultimately saved the lives of three people. And who knows what the ripple effects were from those three lives. And I'm hoping one of those three lives might be our president. There you go. (laughs) So when you tell your story, you make it all sound so easy, Helen. Uh I decided I was going to change my neighborhood. I went to Columbia. I got my degree. I learned how to write grants. And voila, we were serving thousands of lives. And I know it wasn't that easy. So you talked about your dad being your biggest cheerleader and hearing his voice in your head over and over again. What keeps you going day in, day out? You are walking into rooms where maybe there there are people with more education or more power or more (laughs) louder voices. Yeah. How do you speak up in those rooms? You know, I think one, my path has not been easy. You know, being first generation immigrant has not been an easy one. There's been so much self-doubt in myself and a lot of healing that I had to deal with as well. Everyone should see a therapist. Agree. Everyone should do the hard work. I'm like 100%, read a book, (laughs) meditate, speak to your priest, speak to the universe, whoever it is, but definitely talk to someone. I think my path took me a long one. It wasn't easy. I am not the best wife. I am not the best mom which is sometimes hard for other women to hear because they're like, oh my God, I can't believe you just say you're not the best mom. I'm like, no, my kids know I am not. (laughs) I'm not going to bake you anything. I'm like, I'm sorry, but you need me there to be at some game or you need me to help you figure out the math. I am there. I will leave all my phones. I'll leave the hospital. And I'm like, okay, we're going to figure out third grade math. We're going to do it together and I will be present. But will I be doing your pigtails and go to your play? Probably not. But my kids know that. And hence, I might not be the best definition of motherhood. But, you know, for me and for my kids, that's enough. To the world, it might not. You know, and I, that making that decision was not an easy one. It was not an easy one for me. It wasn't an easy one for my husband. Culturally, it wasn't easy either. So when people see like, oh, this weight, I'm very honored for all of my awards and all this and the amazing job I have, it does come with sacrifice. I want to stay and make them breakfast. I do not. Um, I have a lot of support. You know, my mom and my aunts are amazing. They're the other parts of me that they fulfilled because this work is very demanding. So this work and this path that I've been on does come with sacrifices. And sometimes it does get lonely. And when the hard days kick in hard, because there's some hard days at the hospital and hard days as a community leader. On those hard days, I come to my faith. And in my faith is my dad. I'm like, okay, I'm not solving the world. I just need to fix this one little situation. And what is step number one? And then when I do that, it's my own version of meditation, being present in my own thoughts. Well, sometimes it can be very scary. I mean, and you don't have to, and you don't have to be a CEO to be afraid of your thoughts. You could be Joe Schmo running the corner store or the food truck and sitting down with your thoughts can be very scary. But if you have the courage to sit down with your thoughts, you'll see that you have the solutions for most of the stuff that you need to solve. 
your gut will never lead you the wrong path. That's what I've come to terms with. So while my path hasn't been easy and the sacrifices have been big, I would not trade it for anything in the world. I tell my kids that my kids might not be perfect. You know, some of them might be like not home there, but I'm raising good human beings with good faith and believe in giving back to their community. And I love to see my community flourish. I've seen the ripple effects of what I've done. And I love when I see my staff all excited about a project that we did something really well. Right now, we just got the hospital got ranked. We're the first public hospital to get ranked by U.S. News and World Report. Oh, my gosh. First public hospital. And not just not we're number 26. That's amazing. We made it the list with Mount Sinai and NYU and Cornell. And we're, we're not even half their budget. It takes a village to get these numbers and these titles in. I gave out 6,000 donuts. I don't want to see a donut for a very long time, by the way. The smell, the smell just makes me want to not like puke. But to see the staff so excited that they couldn't believe Elmore's Hospital got ranked as a hospital, along with the NYU's and Mount Sinai, the pride they felt, it was my biggest high. That refreshes my soul in an instant. We all need those moments to celebrate. And you already know this. But I would be remiss if I didn't say that you sound like an amazing mother. And maybe it is culturally non-traditional, your approach. But any mom who's raising a kid who knows how to find support with their homework, who knows how to make their own breakfast, who has a strong sense of community activism, who knows that every one of us has the potential to change the world, that is a child who has been well-reared. You're going to make me cry. (laughs) that is evidence once more that you are doing things right. But I get it. It's hard to make those sacrifices. And to me, it sounds like the way you've done it is to prioritize what matters most. And the fact that you've been open with your kids about where they really need you and where, frankly, so many of us as parents show up because we feel like we should. And our kids don't really care. No, no. And it's so funny. I remember I asked with Louise, my eldest, I was like, look, I can't do this PTA thing. (laughs) I was like, do you want me involved? Do you want me in these meetings? It was like, no, mom. I was like, I just need homework help. I'm like, you got it. I will be there for homework. And right now he plays football. He's uh, American football. And I was like, look, honey, I can't go to these games. I'm like a mama bear. Seeing another kid twice your size, like jump on you or like, I I can't. It gives me palpitations. I cannot go to your games because I, I want to beat up the other kid. He was like, mom, I don't need you to go. He was like, if we make it to the championship, then I want you there. All he wants is for me to take him to school at 6.30 in the morning. So he was like, I just want the mornings with you, mom. That's it. And I was like, you got it. I think that's where the balance lies, Helen. It's in getting really clear about what truly matters and not just what we feel like ought to matter. And making a strong, clear commitment to those things. And when we have to not follow through on those, right, there are moments, no doubt, when somebody says, but Dr. Helen, we need you at 630 on this one day. The foundation that has been set by showing up for all those other days that that you can make those trade-offs when you need to. Yeah, no. And my kids know. Like, they like, oh, it's a, you know, they're like, Elvis needs her. Victoria's an eight-year-old. She's the only girl that I have. And so, of course, I, we went to get our nails done and we went to a new nail salon because, again, I'm trying to support local. We're very community based. 
We're trying to support local businesses. So we went to get the, to this new nail salon, which is owned by two women, which we were very, very, very excited. Yay. So we went to support and the two women start talking about like that they actually went to Plaza de Sol for their care. It's a mom and daughter. The daughter gave birth to her son at Elmer's. Oh my gosh. And my, my daughter is like, oh, my mommy works at Elmer's. <laughs> to see these two women thriving was huge for me. And then when I tell, you know, when they're like, oh, what do you do at Elmer's? I'm like, oh, I'm the CEO. And Plaza de Sol was my, I founded Plaza de Sol. They're like, oh my God, we love the health center. It's changed our lives. I was really curious at the start of this conversation what your center was because you are being pulled in so many different directions. And so how would you describe that? What are you coming back to? I think I'm always coming back down to community. Uh huh. If it doesn't feel right for my community, I won't do it. There you go. Yeah, because my community is the 6,000 staff that I have, the communities that I serve. You know, Elmer's Hospital, I'm very lucky. We get to sit in the most diverse district not only of New York City, not only of the state, but the U.S. nationally. Our district speaks over 200 different languages and Elmer speaks 125. My gosh. So that brings so much flavor to our hospital. Delicious food, by the way. But with that gift comes a lot of barriers, a lot of cultural, like current, I went to to see the Buddhist, a Buddhist temples near us because the Buddhists don't believe in having any foreign liquids in their bodies and, you know, mammograms. Sometimes we have an abnormal mammogram so we need to put iodine to get an MRI of the mammogram of the breast. So going to the Buddhist and saying, hey, you know, I understand why you don't want these liquids or this synthetic iodine in your body. I totally agree. But let me tell you how it helps you, how it helps you get, and, you know, and if you don't want it, that's fine. But no, it's going to like delay some of our treatment and just finding that connection, right? Because them understanding like why we need, it's not just because we want to, it's not a procedure for us. It's going to make us diagnose you better and attack the cancer in your breast better. There's a lot of barriers of education, culturally, and just traditional practices that we have to make sure we get our patients to the right treatment at the right time. It just keeps coming back to trust and really nurturing that trust through mutual understanding. So I have to imagine that when you were sick with COVID in a time when there was no treatment yet. I would run to Coney Island on my run and the freezer trucks were lined up with potties because no one knew how to take care of these people. And so I imagine it had to have been a very scary time for you having seen all of that and then being in the center of it. What in that moment did you hope your kids would hear you saying in their heads for the rest of their lives if you didn't make it? Probably the same thing. You can't fix the world, but you can fix this block. And I say that often to my kids and I'm like, okay, I understand the drama of high school. I'm like, okay, you can't fix it all. But if you could fix one thing, what would be step one? You know, and with my kids, I'm like, okay, you know, we can't fix the world. We can't make the world green, but how do we fix this one block? You know? And so we keep our street clean. We help our neighbors. We walk to a salon. We support local businesses. I refuse to leave our neighborhood because I want our neighborhood to see that it is possible. So we are walking examples that we don't leave our neighborhoods just because now we make good money. Mm. We stay and invest in our neighborhoods. Yeah. For any of us who get overwhelmed by the size and scale of the problems that we face, and I, I always come back to that old phrase, how do you eat an elephant? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One bite at a time. It's just taking these 
great big problems and acknowledging that just because they're big doesn't mean they can't be addressed. It just means that we have to start with a single step, a single bite, that one thing. I just love the idea that out there in the world right now, there are people listening to this episode and they'll hear it and they'll hear you saying, just take one step. You don't have to save the world. Just focus on your neighborhood. Yeah, just one block. Just one block. Thank you, Helen. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Again, I really appreciate your the work that you do for this. And, you know, it's important for us to hear the voices that we can do this work. Thank you. Thank you. Uplifters, head on over to the upliftertspodcast.com for more from Helen and from all of our wonderful guests. Thank you for listening to the Uplifters podcast. If you're getting a boost from these episodes, please share them with the uplifters in your life and then join us in conversation over at the upliftertspodcast.com. Head over to Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast and like, follow, and rate our show. It'll really help us connect with more uplifters and it'll ensure you never miss one of these beautiful stories. Mwah! Big love! Painted water sunshine With rosemary and tun Dwell in the perplexing Though you find it vexing Toss a star and hover Be your own best lover Relish in a new prime Plant a tree in springtime Dance with all hindsight Sun to twilight, lift you up, whoa, lift you up, whoa, lift you up, whoa, lift you up, lift you up, whoa. Mommy, stop crying. Mommy, stop crying. You're disturbing the peace.